0: creation versus evolution argument is not about faith versus science. Neither can be proven or falsified by the scientific method. And in fact, both sides are looking at the same forensic evidence. The real question then is, which view is accurate? We're the Missouri Association for Creation. Welcome to our podcast. Well, good morning, afternoon, or evening from St. Louis, Missouri. I'm Marv Schaefer, president of the Missouri Association for Creation. I'm here with Zachary Klein, who is one of our board members and one of our speakers for the Missouri Association for Creation. Uh, The next few episodes, he will be interviewing a couple of creation researchers from across the pond, Paul Garner and Stephen Lloyd, and they are from the Biblical Creation Trust in the U.K. You'll hear more about their organization during the interview. Please remember to like and subscribe to our podcast and visit our website at mocreation.org to get more information about creation and about events and classes that we offer in the St. Louis area. Zach, take it away.
1: So I'm here in the studio today with Mr. Paul Garner of Biblical Creation Trust. How are you doing, Paul? I'm doing well, thanks, Zach. It's great to have you here, both in St. Louis and here in the studio. This is a it's a fun time. Looking forward to it.
2: Yeah, it's my pleasure.
1: So, uh, Paul, why don't you uh, give us a few words about yourself, uh, your background, uh, what you do with Biblical Creation Trust, and then maybe say a few words about that ministry.
2: Sure. I work full-time for Biblical Creation Trust as a researcher and lecturer. I've been uh, doing that since 2002. My academic background is in the earth sciences, uh, so my postgraduate qualification is in geoscience uh, with an emphasis in paleobiology, which is looking at fossils and the history of life.
1: Excellent. And geoscience, is that what we would call geology across the pond over here?
2: Yes, yeah, or sort of earth sciences more generally. Okay. Yeah. Very cool.
1: Yeah. Excellent. And so um, Biblical Creation Trust, uh, What is your? Uh, where do you guys live on the internet? What's your website and social media?
2: Presence? Sure. Uh, yeah, you can find us at biblicalcreationtrust.org. We also have a YouTube channel, and we're active on Facebook, uh, so you can look us up there. And I also co-host a, a regular podcast with Dr. Todd Wood from Core Academy of Science called "Let's Talk Creation," and you can find us at Let's Talk Creation dot And uh, you know, we put out fortnightly episodes and have various guests on. And yeah, so those are some of the things I'm I'm involved with.
1: Excellent, yeah, and that's a fantastic podcast mm. as well. I'm a regular regular listener. Mm. And, of course, you and I know each other from outside of this conversation. We do. But, uh, yeah, this is this will be fun. So we, we actually got to spend some time together recently uh, at the International Conference on Creationism mm-hmm. over in Cedarville, Ohio, being held at Cedarville University. And, Paul, you were presenting a number of uh, papers there at the conference. Yep. I had the opportunity to present a poster presentation of mm-hmm. some uh, local uh, geology work that I've been involved in. And that's a big conference. It only's held every four to five years. Yeah. And you've been going for some time now, right?
2: Yeah, I think my first ICC was in 1994. Okay. Uh, We're now on the ninth international conference on creationism. It's been going since 1986. Wow. And it's a great conference because it's the place where you can get creationist scholars from all of the major creation organizations and others besides all in one place and presenting the kind of cutting edge work that they're doing and yeah so it's a great conference to attend so if you get an opportunity to to go to the next one I don't think the date's been announced yet, but yeah, definitely try and do that. It's a great conference.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's certainly <laughs> a different type of event than your typical creation mm-hmm. apologetics uh, conference that uh, folks might be familiar with. Sure, This is really research. Uh, this is where all those all the displays you might see in a museum or in an exhibit, yeah. this is where all that hard work happens. And it's a, it's a really incredible place to be, just to see both the, the cutting edge work that's being done and to see the collaboration uh, between various groups. So, yeah, it was an excellent experience. One of the things I really enjoyed about this particular ICC was the number of presentations we had where uh, we were seeing real data-driven science take place by creationists uh, using, in many cases, data that's been available publicly, you know, through Mm -hmm. various scientific databases and so forth, and actually applying creationist models and creationist thinking to this data which is really a very pure form of science right you, yeah you've got a, a treasure trove of information and now you're going to apply a yeah. uh, biblical worldview and biblical assumptions and and biblically based models to that data and see what you can do
2: yeah absolutely yeah i mean it's great to see creationists collecting their own data you know doing field work doing experiments uh, all, all this kind of stuff but there's also a whole load of publicly available databases where other people have done the hard work for us and collected this data. And we can now sort of um, investigate and explore that data in various ways. So lots of the talks were involving this thing called the paleobiology database, yes, we heard about that a which, lot. which has got, you know, I, I don't know what it was, million and a half fossil occurrences or something recorded in it and other types of publicly available databases, which just allow us to do really large sample studies. So that's really great. And I think this was one of the best ICCs I've been to. I, I think the quality of the papers mm. was very high. And it is a scholarly conference. But one of the things that really impressed me was the number of younger yes. scientists who are presenting. You know, we've we've now got in Christian colleges, um, professors who are training another generation. And to see those young people sort of presenting their, their own research was really encouraging. I was, I was very pleased to see that.
1: Absolutely. And Cedarville University, where the conference was held, mm. is really one of the the leaders in that in raising yeah. up another generation of creationist students in the sciences.
2: Dr. John Whitmore, you know, he's uh, the professor of geology there. And he set up that geology program at Cedarville some time ago. And, you know, there, there have been many students now going through that program, going on so often to get PhDs of their own. And uh, continuing the work that, you know, he began. So it's great to see.
1: A number of the speakers, in fact, if I understand correctly, who now are at the PhD level, many of them uh, were formerly students at Cedarville University, such as Ken Coulson yep. and uh, Matt McLean. Yep, that's and, right. Uh, so, so, yeah, you can already see some of that fruit uh, starting to yeah. to uh, show up. And it's, it's very exciting.
2: Yeah, and of course, Matt McLean now has his own geology program at the Masters in California. So yep. he's now training another generation. So, you know, it's just great to see the baton being passed on that way.
1: So one of the papers, presentations that you were involved in that I particularly mm. enjoyed had a very tantalizing title, Testing the Order of the Fossil Record, Preliminary Observations on Stratigraphic Clade Congruence and Its Implication for Models of Evolution and Creation. So perhaps some of our listeners have uh, lost track of that sequence of <laughs> words there. But uh, the, the short title, Testing the Order of the Fossil Record, this is a topic that is very a very hot topic in yep. creation. Uh, we sometimes have folks even at our meetings who are be a bit skeptical. Is there really an order to the fossil record? Is mm-hmm. the geologic column a real thing? And of mm-hmm. course, most creationists would say, yes, there is a real order in the rocks and in the fossils. But folks are sometimes skeptical because that order is often seen as one and the same with the evolutionary history, that this is right. the order in which these plants and animals evolved. And as creationists, we would reject that. Mm-hmm. So there has been some work, and you referenced it in your paper, that's been done many years ago on this topic, and uh, you and some students uh, were bringing some fresh eyes and some new data mm-hmm. to this problem. So why don't you share a little bit about that presentation and some of the work that went on there?
2: Yeah. The fossil record is you know, often regarded as primary evidence for macroevolutionary theory. And a lot of the focus of this, the discussion is around things like intermediate fossils, you know, transitional forms. But there's another argument for evolution from the fossil record that often has been neglected by creationists, I think. There hasn't been so much discussion about it. And that's this idea that the order in which different groups appear in the fossil record matches the order that you can predict from evolutionary trees so if you look at an evolutionary tree those trees are based not on fossils or at least you know most of those trees are not based on fossil data they're based on morphology so you look at the morphology the form and structure of the animals and you can sort of work out what's the order in which these groups would have branched off from one another And then you can compare that to the fossil record and you can say, well, what order do those groups appear in the fossil record? So in effect, you have two independent bodies of data that you can compare with one another. And uh, some evolutionists have claimed that there's a very good match between those two sets of data. And typically they'll refer, say, to the vertebrate classes. So if you draw an evolutionary tree of the vertebrates, you know, fish kind of branch off first, and then the amphibians and then the reptiles and then the mammals. And when you go to the fossil record and you say, well, what order do those groups appear in the fossil record? They appear in that order, fish first and then amphibians, then reptiles, then mammals. And so the argument is... You know, this helps to confirm evolutionary theory. It helps to confirm the evolutionary tree. We wanted to explore that a bit further. Uh, Now, you know, you referred to some work that was done some years ago. Uh, About 30 years ago, Dr. Kurt Wise did a, a study, which was unpublished, where he constructed evolutionary trees for a whole load of higher taxa, Kingdom's phyla classes. And uh, he then looked at first fossil appearance data for all of these groups and he derived kind of 144 evolutionary series and he compared it to what you see in the fossil record. And interestingly, he found that only about five out of 144 fossil series showed a statistically significant correlation between the order of branching in the evolutionary trees and the order of appearances in the fossil record, which is very interesting. So, you know, that's about 5% of the, the data or whatever actually shows an evolutionary match. And in fact, the few cases where there was some sort of match, some congruence between the fossil data and the evolutionary branching, one of those groups was in the plants. Mm -hmm. And it actually led Kurt Weiss then to develop the floating forest model, which perhaps some listeners might have heard about, but this idea that there was a floating forest biome before the flood that then got sort of ripped apart during the flood. So in the very few cases he was able to find a a correlation, he was able to come up with a creation model explanation of those. But in most cases, there was just kind of randomness with respect to the predicted evolutionary order.
1: Right. And just... uh... To kind of recap, I think for our listeners, the significance here: the evolutionary trees that mm. Dr. Weiss created aren't real things. They're based on right. based on what these animals look like, and evolutionists would think mm-hmm. that this animal would have evolved into that animal. You said it's mm-hmm. based on the morphology, so that the yeah. shapes essentially of the animal and their physical features. Sure. And so that's that is one way of creating an evolutionary tree. Then you go look at the fossil record and see, well, what order do those animals show up? What's the lowest layer Mm -hmm. that we first find fossils of this animal? And does that line up with the evolutionary order that we would predict based on how the animals look? And those are often presented as though they're one and the same, right? Uh, The way our our cultural Mm -hmm. perception of evolution, in many cases, many of our listeners might even think that the evolutionists get the order from the fossils. Mm -hmm. And they do in one sense, but there's an entire separate discipline that isn't creating these evolutionary trees that we're That's familiar right. with. And uh, those often do not match up That's with right. the order that the animals show up in the fossil records.
2: So in effect, this is a test of that evolutionary claim. And it kind of failed the test, you know, with with Kurt Weiss's study. So that kind of brings us to our study, because Kurt Weiss's study was limited in a number of ways. It, first of all, it was unpublished. Uh, secondly, he dealt only with the higher taxa so he's only looking at certain categories in that Linnaean hierarchy you know how you have species group within genera genera within families and so on well he was only looking at the higher taxa the kingdoms phyla and classes and we thought there was scope to do a broader study where we looked at more groups more evolutionary trees where we looked at a broader range of taxonomic categories and see what patterns we we could find so that was what we did so there was a group of us who kind of worked on this project there were two people in particular katie maguire and sophie sotherden who did an amazing job they processed almost three thousand evolutionary trees um, which was beyond our sort of expectations when we set out doing this study and then they were able to Look at the order of branching in those evolutionary trees, look up the first fossil appearances in a fossil database, the paleobiology database, and then see whether whether there was a match. And what we found basically was that there was a kind of a correlation in about three quarters of the trees, but there was only a high correlation, a strong correlation in about a quarter of the trees, That was interesting. If you're thinking that there's a strong match between the evolutionary order and the fossil order, then probably that's not really the case. We also found that the level of agreement varied a bit. Hmm. through the geological column so actually the part of the column where we found the strongest correlations was the mesozoic that's kind of the middle part of the the fossil record the Mm -hmm. bit that contains the dinosaurs yes but it was lower in the sort of rocks below the mesozoic and above the mesozoic and i think this is going to be very helpful to us if we want to develop models of understanding the flood right so i think this kind of data can give us some clues about What was the structure, the ecological structure of the pre-flood world? How were those organisms buried to give the fossil sequences that we find? So I, I think we can go beyond just testing the evolutionary claim to start to answer some questions which are of real interest to us as creationists within the creation model. We may also be able to use it to... Try to work out where the flood post flood boundary is, or mm-hmm. what are the boundaries of the created kinds. You know, so there are all kinds of questions where I think this kind of study, you know, can help us answer those questions.
1: Absolutely, yeah, it's really interesting with these sorts of data driven analyses that, mm. uh, as creationists, we do have different questions in mind when we look at the same evidence. We often talk mm. about that in creation of, of that we all have the same evidence mm. at a certain level but that as creationists versus evolutionists, we think differently, we look at that evidence differently, and that can lead us to ask different questions. Yeah. And in this case, with this study, you've shown that perhaps if the evolutionists were being a little more objective, they would see that they're not going to like some of the answers that they're (laughs) getting from this data. But then going beyond that, what are the questions that creationists might be able to ask and something we might be able to learn about the order in the fossil record? Because there is a real order, and it is significant, and we can see that it doesn't strongly confirm evolution mm-hmm. uh, the way that we are often told that it does, but it also, we see some patterns and we see sure. some signals in that data that probably are telling us something about the world before the flood, about the process of the flood. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the floating forest model, which those who have been to MAC meetings, you may have heard about that at a couple of our mm-hmm. of our uh, monthly presentations, but that essentially came down to looking at a, a real sequence in the fossils and working back from that to reconstruct a little piece of what the earth may have been like before the flood, and that the flood would have progressively buried um, that environment.
2: Yeah. One of the things about our study, although we we managed to process, you know, I think it was over 2,700 of these evolutionary trees most of our trees were heavily biased towards the vertebrates and particularly the mm-hmm. dinosaurs. So we want to expand this study. We want to kind of make the database even bigger. So we want we want to look at evolutionary trees of invertebrates, so things like shellfish and you know, brachiopods and bivalves and echinoderms and all those sorts of things, and maybe even some microorganisms. So we'd like to expand the, the range of groups that we look at. There are also some statistical issues that we ran into some problems with, We tried to get some help from statisticians, but I think some of the problems we were kind of presenting them with were quite tricky to solve, so (laughs) we're going to need to think some more about that. But I think this could be a database available to creationist scholars that is really going to help us answer some significant questions within the creation model. So I'm quite excited about it, and I hope we can sort of develop this work further.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you, Paul, for that overview of your presentation, or one of your presentations Mm -hmm. at the ICC. Next time when we talk, mm-hmm. we'll look at another one of your papers that you were involved in and uh, some additional data-driven research, creationist research that you're involved in. And then, yeah, just again, for our listeners, just to kind of underscore, uh, these topics, they can come across as very technical, and they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a technical uh, conference that we're talking about at the ICC. But uh, this is where the hard work gets done that mm-hmm. will eventually show up, hopefully, <laughs> Lord willing, in books and in museums and so forth. And uh, this is all real science going on behind the scenes. And I think what's exciting here is that we can go from both, again, as we said earlier, critiquing the evolutionary explanation and showing where there is um, a mismatch between the evidence and the theory, but then going beyond that to say, well, what can we develop? Can we make a better theory, a better Mm -hmm. model to make sense of the same data? And I think that's really where you see creation science at its best.
2: Yeah, that's right. That's absolutely right. That's what we need to do. Uh, We need to be building the model. And in fact, I think that's the best apologetic, right? So if if we can show that we explain the data better than the conventional model, that's quite powerful. That's that's very compelling.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Paul. This has been a fascinating conversation. And we look forward to having you back again next month to continue the conversation about some of the research presented at the ICC. Mm. Marv, back to you.
0: Thank you, Zach and Paul. That was a fascinating conversation. Please join us next episode for the continuation of their discussion about the International Conference on Creationism. And that about does it for this episode of the Mac Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, feedback, etc. for us here at the podcast, send them to podcast at missouricreation.com. We'd love to hear from you. And please remember to subscribe and rate our podcast on whatever platform you choose to listen to. You can find all of our episodes and subscription options at our website, missouricreation.com podcast. I'm Marv Schaefer. I'd like to leave you with this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Catch you next time.